Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. Uh, We are talking about how Jesus uh, uh, understood and taught prayer uh, according to His speaking just prior to His death in John 14. We're going to pick up with that session. Uh, We welcome all of those of you from around the world who tune in with us. We hope you enjoy us. We hope our our preaching and teaching is a ministry to you that blesses you and uh, will bless those in your circle of influence. We ask you, uh, we, we would love to hear from you. Uh, MikeSpringstonMinistries.com, Springston56 at gmail.com, FFCMA.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Um, of course, we're available for encouragement, questions, um, whatever we can do to benefit you in the Word of God. Uh, so today we're going to begin again with John fourteen twelve, and uh, uh, let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see, our ears that we can hear, our heart that we can understand what the Word of God says to us. And then, Father, let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son at all costs, God. Now, Father, we ask that Jesus would speak out of the Spirit and to the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us what Jesus is saying so that we can receive it and release it to your people so that Jesus and His Word can be preached, taught, and the ministry that He began to do and to teach can be continued. I pray that you'll bless in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and amen and amen. Let's begin with John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father, and whosoever and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Today we're going to focus, begin this podcast, on the three words, and greater works. Very interesting. That word and plays a very large role in this. And, of course, this word here is huge in this text because it describes something that is beyond the works that were accomplished in part one of this text. It is the greater works. Now, why is there a step two, if you will, of what Jesus is saying here? Well, step one is the works directly associated with the first four works that began at the cross. We mentioned those earlier. I'll mention them again. The cross, where... Healing, forgiveness of sin, uh, the uh, new birth of the Spirit began. The tomb where the flesh died and the spirit man was preserved. The resurrection where Jesus took the keys of death and hell and resurrected as a deliverer or, and is known as the victoriously anointed Christ. And then Jesus sprinkling blood on the vessels of ministry as the high priest over his own uh, blood sacrifice. In these we got saved. 
the flesh was destroyed, brought under subjection. In the resurrection, we were delivered from physical disease and the death of hell. You need to listen to my podcast on how healing works, by the way. And then, when he became the high priest, we became those who now can worship in the tabernacle of God. These first four plateaus, if you will, are works that we do exactly as he did. They are very interesting. Now then, there is the works that are done after the cross, after these four works. When Jesus stepped into the portals of glory and was designated as Lord, at that point in time, a new plateau was reached. He was given all power and all authority in all worlds. He had taken that power out of hell, but God designated him as Lord. Then, of course, after he came back and showed himself to over 500 people and walked among them and spoke to them and they touched him and handled him, he taught them on the Holy Spirit he breathed on them in John 20 and they received the spirit of the plan of God. He was now operating from lordship, in other words, where they could be placed into the heavenly economy and seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus under his lordship. Now then he returns back to glory goes out of their sight into the cloud. Peter says he's seated at the right hand of God. And from that, the promise of God is delivered of which Peter said you have now seen. So uh, the cross had four distinct works. Then there were two works that brought the believer into a greater relationship. Now, there was the work of the place in his lordship and the work of the promise. That promise was the sending and the enduing with power of the Holy Ghost. It was the final setting of Jesus Christ when he was placed back in the Godhead. He released the Spirit of God into the earth. When the Holy Spirit made landfall in Jerusalem where the followers of Christ were in prayer about the sins that were being done in Jerusalem, when he arrived, he entered the room, sat upon each of them with tongues of fire. That fire produced tongues that were to become the initial evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know according to Jesus' teaching, that any time the Spirit of God speaks, it is Him speaking directly. Now we read in Acts chapter 2 to better understand what happened, what the effects were, and to whom they acknowledged as the generator of this event. Immediately an act occurred that brought Peter and John into a new dimension. Now watch this because we're talking about how the and greater works were exposed. Not 
in the man that came as the Son of God, but in men who were born by the plan of God, completed the place of his lordship, were told of it, who he worked with and confirmed the word with signs following after he became seated in the Godhead. Peter and John are coming into a new dimension. They saw the man at the gate called beautiful and allowed the power in them to come out of them. Look at the words. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I you. This was an outflowing of what was stored in their inner man. Of course, the man was healed and the people were astonished. Some would say, well, this is just what Jesus did. How does this qualify as a greater work? The greater work is done by this. They're doing this without the presence of Jesus. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is speaking directly to them through the Holy Spirit. They are doing this with the spontaneous influence of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, they are expressing to the crowd that they have no role in the event except the single thing that Jesus said would happen that would create the greater work. They were using the name of Jesus. Therein is the reason, my friend, it's a greater work. It's the first time since Jesus left that they've expressed his name over an issue. And that name alone, coming out of the throne room of God through them, overwhelmed an insurmountable problem. Well, isn't that something? A mountain became a plain. Jesus has spoken directly to them concerning an issue present in people and particularly that was present in an unbeliever. And his name ministered healing to that person. So what do you see? First we see the Holy Spirit working in them to identify direction that Jesus is telling them to go. We see words that are coming directly from Jesus. Third, we see the ministry of his name. Fourth, we see the healing. And fifth, we see the oratory of defense of the work and the appropriation of responsibility. They're not taking responsibility for it. They're appropriating the responsibility for this to Jesus Christ and the use of his name. Sixth, we see the completeness of the work that is provided to the blind man. My friend, there is a sequence of events that have spoken to the complete miracle as it related to this situation. Now we've seen the Godhead at work in a man. We have seen Jesus speak directly to man. We have seen a man respond directly to the command given by the one who was speaking from the anointing that is working in him. This procedure was completed throughout the New Testament. How did it happen? Well, it came under the operation of the New Covenant. Now, is that New Covenant still operational today? Well, of course. 
All of this is still functioning. I heard a man say the other day, the Word of God serves to be a legal document. And it is the constitutional messaging of a kingdom. Therefore, since it is its constitution, and since it is a legal document, it is to be followed, trusted, turned to, believed in, lived upon, and be, ma and be made the law of the land. So Jesus here is simply operating in the law of the legal economy of the covenant of which he has produced and provided for all mankind. What a great thought. This thing is coming out of the portals of glory on our behalf because the legal document is left behind to tell us precisely and exactly how it is to function, how it's to work. It works by the name of Jesus Christ. It's still functioning today. Why? Because it was given to the church. The church is still operational. Even if the church is not often functioning as a new covenant church. Even if the church has refused the promise. Some churches will take the plan and go about getting people saved. Some people, some churches will see that sanctification will bring them into the place where he becomes Lord over everything. And then there'll be those churches that will live under the plan, the place, and the promise. They will be those that will express the elements and attitudes of new covenant living under the command and voice of Jesus Christ. They will be the church that will live in the ultimate purpose of what Jesus Christ began to do and to teach. Some churches are good with only the plan. And I guess that has its place, but it's not all. Some churches are good with the place, and that's good, but it's not all. Some churches are good with the plan, the place, and the purpose, and the promise, rather. That church is operating in a new covenant standard. That church is operating to do and to teach precisely and exactly what Jesus did and what he taught. Why don't everybody operate in all three, the plan, the place, the purpose which results, or the promise which results in his purpose? Because of revelation, my friend. Not everybody lives in the divine revelation of how those three operate. In the process of not living in that divine revelation, however, there is the struggle. There is the struggle. We all operate out of the same book, but we don't get the same message. There is the struggle. Well, the idea of works that led to being saved was one that gained traction in the church. Why? Because we didn't see the two distinct works that Jesus is teaching in John 14. 
we saw the whole chapter as just one conversation of one work about one thing. We didn't see the precision of the Holy Spirit in the works that Jesus taught. We saw one work of the Spirit as it flowed through this chapter. We didn't recognize that there was a separation between the works that we would do that He did and the greater works that were going to occur because He went to His Father. Well, most of that is because our focus has been placed only on the cross. We've never understood the first four plateaus that Jesus climbed and the two plateaus that God gave him once he got to his Father. Verse 13, John 14, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Man has two distinct positions from which to work. One is the works of Jesus, and the other is the greater work. When we work from the works of Jesus, we're operating in those first four works of what Jesus did that began with the cross. The believer can pray using this perspective. We can pray for forgiveness of sins. We can pray about our flesh. We can pray that our physical body be delivered from sin and sickness. And we can pray for freedom from sin. We can also express the lordship of Jesus in our, or the priesthood of Jesus rather, in our prayer life and worship. Go to church, worship Him. And this seems like a whole lot of spiritual gain, doesn't it? But notice in the first four plateaus where the gain is focused. It's all focused on you. My friend, Jesus did not leave us to focus on ourselves. He left us the power to be light in the world. When we spend our Christian life focusing on ourselves, we lose the relationship of the true meaning of why Jesus came. We make that meaning to center on us and our needs. We center on things like love, Jesus loves we tell everybody about the love of Jesus as if that love was strictly centered and focused totally on you. The love was focused on His Father. He became the grace of God. God's element of love to mankind was grace named Jesus Christ. We become the centerpiece of our own universe when we look at it from that perspective. This is not the case, however. Jesus is the center of the Christian world we have to be able to bow to Him and we must see Him as the person and as the purpose of why we serve God. The things that He has done are sitting on ready and always available to us. We should, however, be looking beyond ourselves for the purpose. And it is for that purpose that the promise was given. If we ask from the perspective of the journey of Christ, we receive the benefits of that journey. This is the work that Jesus has done to bring those benefits of salvation. But my friend, there is a deeper prayer. It is in the end greater works. 
So let's look at what Jesus taught on this subject in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. So we ask, what does that involve? We ask the Holy Spirit to unveil Jesus in our inner man. We receive the saving grace of Jesus Christ by faith. The benefits of salvation are exposed to the believer. Salvation, of course, is a free gift and therefore it's always given by grace through faith to anyone that asks. This provides us with the plan. From here we're moved into the kingdom. We're no longer in darkness. Then we seek. Now what are we seeking? The deeper walk in the Spirit. The Spirit is found in the revelation of the place. From here we move beyond ourselves and move into the service of the King as He is Lord. We experience the power of God from His Lordship to have all authority and all power over everything that is in the spirit world, most notably over our tongue. We begin to have the ability to share this gospel throughout the world and share the commandments of Jesus Christ. Then we knock. It's the last step. What are we knocking upon? The throne room door of God. Now His Lordship has brought us into the place where we are able to be in the seating in the heavenly arena. We have access into the throne room of God. The process of prayer has created, deepened, and distinguished the believer's walk It's distinguished his internal guidance system and it has expressed the relevance in the purpose of God. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth and him that knocketh it shall be open. My friend, the process is an absolute certain as Jesus can speak it here in Matthew 17 and 8. But most are totally unaware of how the process works. That's why we don't pray right. Therefore, we remain the center of our Christian experience. We continue to teach man as the center of experience. Jesus loves you. He died for you. That's man as the center of the Christian experience. Of course, we know That man is not the center of this experience. Jesus Christ is. The quicker we come to that understanding, the more quickly we will come to understand how he desires to live and work through us. Asking in my name is a crucial factor. When studying how Jesus taught them to pray, of equal importance is the understanding that there are two vastly different perspectives from which to pray. One is the born-again perspective that if we're not careful, we will find centering up on ourselves and our needs and our prayer life will be nothing more than a conglomerate of our telling God what He ain't given to us. Now, the second one we have to grow up into. Maturity now causes one to look beyond himself or herself and seek deeper things. They're not taught this today, and therefore our prayer life is, I hate to use this term, but almost dysfunctional. 
We live under the misguided notion that we're the reason God sent Jesus. He did not. He sent Jesus to die so that we could serve Him. So that we could come up under His Lordship and continue to do the works that He began to do and to teach. He sent Jesus to die so that the evil enemy of which He expelled from heaven would be defeated. That evil enemy would be judged and damned. In the process, man who is the creation of God could choose to accept this work and be saved from the evil that was perpetrated by Satan upon Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In this presence, the power of God becomes available for service. The believer is provided with the internal source of Jesus Christ speaking from the Godhead. From here he provides directions that are explicit for ministry. From this ministry the Father is glorified. Why is that? Because it's the greater work that allows the ministry to be spread. It's the greater work that allows the ministry to be spread. Now this ministry reaches the lost and it reaches the saved. It is directed to all people. Go you into all the world. Now why and or to who does this work? Well, those filled with the Holy Spirit that were supposed to be included and included in the church. But of course, that's been sidetracked by poor doctrinal teaching. Prayer then has two focuses. One is upon the works associated with His name that came about from the cross to the tomb to the resurrection to the ministry of the priesthood. The other is the works that are associated with His name that become the greater works. That is, the works associated with His Lordship and His position in the Godhead. Of course, the first work begins at the cross and ends in the tabernacle made without hands. The second work is all done by what is bestowed upon Jesus Christ as the man in the Godhead bodily. The first is very believer-centered. The second is very servant-centered. Now we're not done with this because I want to go more deeply into verse 14 and verse 15 before I end this, but we're going to conclude today's session right here. I want you to know greater works are prepared for you you have to surrender yourself to His Lordship. You have to come into the place where you're seated in heavenly places. You have to understand that there is a man in the Godhead bodily that released the Holy Ghost directly to you. For you. So that you could receive the promise of the Father, be endued with power. Then will you accomplish the greater works of life. Then will you go in to the places that the Holy Spirit will go with you, before you, 
out of your mouth will come power. And the mountainous thing that lay ahead of you will become a plain. That's the beautiful part of the greater works. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I pray that our eyes would open, our ears would hear. That we would get the center of our focus off of ourselves and on to you. And we would surrender ourselves then once that's done to your Lordship. Come under your Godhead. Center and focus totally and wholly on Jesus Christ. And let Him manufacture us and ordain us to the works that will continue to do what He began to do and to teach. We give you praise and honor and glory for it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ who is our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and Amen. Now you see why I pray as I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. I hope the eyes of your revelatory ability will be opened. God bless you until we speak again.